James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. It's a short passage, so I'm just going to read it for us, and we can jump to the sermon. This is the Word of God. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Just a quick question I'd like for you to just share with your neighbor. If I say life is not fair, what comes to mind? What's your reaction? You mind sharing that with the person next to you? Go ahead. Life is not fair. What's your reaction? I'm not going to take a survey, but my guess is going to be no one likes it when life seems unfair. Is that, yeah, sound about right? No one likes it when life seems unfair. Here's a little video. Take a look. Testing that idea. All right? Go ahead. No one likes it when life seems unfair. Not even monkeys. But the problem is that life is unfair, isn't it? That's the problem. This is why our passage this morning is so important. Because one of the most important things as a Christian that you need to learn is how to handle and respond biblically well in a God-honoring way when someone treats you or mistreats you, I should say, in an unfair way. Because it's going to happen. So we're going to look at this passage in James, which is speaking to the church that is being just treated unfairly that we can learn how we ought to respond and endure well when we undoubtedly are going to face it. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Yes? All right, I already gave you one chance, okay? You guys with me? Yes? This morning? All right, good. So, what was the unfair reality that James is speaking into? Well, that's point one. The unfair reality that this church or the Christians there at that time were facing is that there was a group of rich, more powerful non-Christians who were unfairly taken advantage of these Christians. It's spoken of in verses 4 through 6, right before the passage we read. This is what it says. This is speaking directly to these evil, powerful, rich people. It says this, Behold, the wages of the laborers, the Christian laborers, who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the years of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have, and I want you to pay attention, you have what? Condemned. You have what? Murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, look, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't like any sort of injustice. I don't like someone trying to cut in the Starbucks line. That bugs me. I still remember when I was in San Francisco and we were waiting, me and my wife, in a line for a food truck. It's about 20, 25 people deep. And I see this guy try to jump the line. So from about 30 feet away, I stick up out of the line and say, hey, the line starts back here. He turns, yells back at me. This is my wife. I say, okay. But that bugs me like crazy. 
I can't handle any sort of injustice. Now, but what we're talking about here is not someone cutting a line. What we're talking about is stuff like fraud. Not being compensated correctly. But it's not even to the point of just them losing a little bit of the excess income that they maybe don't need. This is affecting their livelihood. This is why in verse 4 it says, the fraud are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of the harvest. You know why they're crying out to God? It's because they might die because of the money that they are being frauded by these rich people. Injustice. Not only that, but they're being condemned for their faith. Not only that, it mentions that some are even murdered because of following the name of Jesus. Now, why? Well, they're not the rich and powerful. Life sometimes is not easy. Even for the believers that follow the living God. And see, I want you to know, as God followers, you and I, we might face this. We might face times in our lives where we are mistreated unfairly. And some Christians in the world, it gets extreme to the point where they will lose house, family, and even their life because of the name of Jesus. This is the life that we live in. I don't know if you heard, but Donald Trump had a historic uh, summit with Kim Jong-un. Anyone here? Yes? Well, what was kind of lost in the shuffle of that news was that actually three U.S. citizens who were imprisoned in North Korea were released. Did you know that? Prior to this meeting, because it was a gesture of goodwill by North Korea ahead of this meeting. So this is the USA Today article on that. I don't know if you heard this or not. One of the guys, his name was Kim Hak-sung. This is the picture of him. And he was arrested in May 2017. Do you know why? Because of what the North Korean officials termed hostile acts. You know what that hostile act was? Prayer. That's what it was. The North Korean government said, we have evidence that you wrote emails to your church in the United States asking for prayer for the North Korean people. Not only that, we have evidence that you were praying in the morning in your home. Because of that, that is a hostile act, and they were, this guy was in prison. That's called injustice, right? But that's the reality of the unfair life that Christians face each and every day. Now, what are we to do? How are we to respond? How are we to respond? Because this is undoubtedly going to happen. Well, this is what verses 7 and 8 talk about. This forewarning. Not easy. I want to say it's one of the most difficult things in this whole book of James. It says this, point two. What are we to do? How are we to respond biblically in a God-honoring way? Look at verse seven. It says this. What are the first two words? Be what? I don't want to be patient. <laughs> Look, let me, let's just be honest. It's hard enough to be patient with our kids, our wife and husband sometimes, and even family members. Amen? Okay, don't say amen. And those are people we actually dearly love. 
The Bible is saying, be patient with people that are, what, Treat, mistreating you unfairly. Wow. This word, patient, the Greek is the word parathume. And it means long suffering. So, James understands. This is not an easy thing he's asking. He's asking you to suffer long. This is difficult and it's very countercultural. If you take a look, J.B. Lightfoot, this is uh, his commentary. To give insight into this word and what it's actually asking, it says this Akarathume, patience, is a self restraint which does not hastily retaliate a wrong. The word does not occur in classical Greek and only rarely in later Greek. Why? Because it describes a distinctly Christian virtue. Did you get that? It does not exist outside of the Christian world because it was not a virtue at all to the Greeks. See, for them, it was a virtue not to tolerate any insult or injury without taking vengeance. But for Christians, the virtue was to be able to take revenge Sounds very familiar to what Jesus said. You remember that? When Jesus says, when someone slaps you on the face, what are you to do? You slap him back. I'm just going to ignore that. What he actually said was what? Turn the other cheek. It's so countercultural. It's so distinctly Christian. It's how the church ought to react. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is so difficult, and even in our day and age, it's just so countercultural. Have you ever heard of this doctor? His name was Larry Nasser. Anyone follow this story? He was a doctor, and he had molested young female gymnasts. It's countless, but they're saying over 100. He was on trial. And at the end of the trial, one of the fathers of these two women, or these young ladies who were molested by him, he got a chance to speak on behalf of the daughters. This is a picture. His name is Randall Masgraves. Anyone see this story at all? He spoke on behalf of the daughters to the judge. And I'm going to quote him. This is what he says. He says, as a part of his punishment, judge, would you grant me five minutes in a locked room with this demon? The judge turns back and says, no, I cannot allow you to do that. So he responds back. He says, would you... Judge, give me one minute. And the next thing he does is he rushes Dr. Nasser in court. This is him being tackled by policemen. He gets cuffed, and they take him in to be arrested. As this went viral, as you can tell, the comments that people were making was amazing. And it's a lens into the culture that we live in. You know what were some of those comments? I'm going to read them to you. This is what it said. This man is father of the year. It says, the court should have given him five minutes with this demon. At least one. Barry Nasser doesn't even deserve to live. He deserves to go to hell. On and on. And I'm going to just tell you something. Part of us resonates with that. 
doesn't it? I kind of feel that. And I don't know about you, but if that was me and that was my daughters, how would I react? But what the Word of God is telling us is something that's so difficult, so countercultural. That's in some ways very crazy to me. That honors God. This next part is going to even take us deeper. He goes on and says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until when? Well, for about a week. You're good. Yeah, maybe next month. Man, that's pretty admirable. Until when? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. That's how long we ought to suffer and be patient in difficult tribulation until the coming of the Lord. Why? What is James saying here? It's very on point and biblical. The first thing he wants to point out, there's kind of two parts here. Number one, defer vengeance to God. Because God is faithful and he's just. And he will punish and right every wrong. This is very biblical. All right? Romans 12, 17 says this. Do you mind shooting that up? He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but lead him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his or her head. Meaning, you're going to sear their conscience. They're going to walk away and think like, what the, why are they treating me like this? Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil. He's saying here, don't take vengeance. That is the Lord's. Your calling now, why does that make sense? Well, it's part two, which is he's trying to give us not only what? That vengeance is God's and he's just and he will do it, but also that he's giving us the eternal perspective that we live not for today, but we live for eternity. Amen? We don't live for here. We live for the future. So if something costs us here, but it brings an addition to eternity, then it's worth it. Biblically. So he's saying, if you suffer here, but your loving and not taking vengeance of that person brings them to Christ eternally, it's worth it. This is very biblical. So if you look at Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. Philippians, the apostle Paul is in prison, unfairly. And he says this. I want you to see the eternal perspective. He says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me, although it's unfair, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word Talk about a humbling eternal perspective. 
And that's what James is trying to get at. He's trying to help you to understand, yes, what I'm asking to be patient, to turn the other cheek, to not take vengeance yourself is difficult. But when you look at eternity, it makes sense. And then he says something very interesting. He gives an illustration of a farmer waiting for rain. He goes on. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rain. The farmer is completely dependent on God to bring rain. What he's trying to help you to understand is that God is faithful and he's just. And so just like the farmer, if you just wait, God will be faithful. God will be faithful to be just and bring about right the wrong in our lives. Do you believe that? Do you? Because if you do, that will change the way you react. Your trust in God's faithfulness and justice must take precedence of your natural reaction and desire to hate. God is faithful. I love what Hudson Taylor says, talking about God's faithfulness. He says, our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work, done in God's way, will never lack God's supply. So even in the most difficult situations, like someone treating us in an unfair manner, if you do it God's way, God will provide and be faithful. Do you believe that? That's the challenge of the text this morning. The third part, point three. James says to establish your heart in our patience. Verse 8, turn with me. It says, you also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts means to stand firm. It's speaking about the manner in which we are to be patient, meaning James is telling us our patience is not to be done in weakness and in passivity. Or in defeat, but in God's strength. Well, how does that even make sense? Well, think about this. When someone slaps you across the face, taking that illustration again, do you know how much patience and strength it takes for you to turn the other cheek? That's what he's saying. Establish your heart. Have faith in God so that you can walk in his strength, which is perfected in our weakness, Walk in it so you can honor God even in the most difficult, trying situations where people unfairly establish your heart. I want you to see this in the Apostle Paul. In verse 20 of chapter 1 in Philippians, he says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope, once again, he's in prison, right? That I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life 
by the fruitful courage. That only comes when you establish your heart with Jesus. You see, when he's saying establish your heart, it's not something you conjure up. What he's telling you is you need to go to God and to focus upon him. Keep your eyes upon him because when you do, your heart is strengthened and you are more likely to walk in what God wants you to walk in. I remember I was in China and I went to a mission trip in Harbin, China. Anyone know where that is? It's in northeast China. And there's a lot of persecution there and a lot of underground churches. So the pastor missionary that I got to meet with and work with, he had already gone to prison three times for just being a pastor. So I was just shocked. So I remember we were on a train ride to another place where we were going to go share and teach. And on that train ride, I turned to him and I just asked him, I said, look, isn't that crazy? How did you, how do you even survive that? I'm sure the prisons are not, like, nice. It's very difficult. And he said, yeah, it's very difficult. So how did you survive that? And in his broken English, I'm going to just paraphrase, but he says something to this effect. He said, Pastor John, when I focus on them, I get angry. When I focus on God's love and his forgiveness in my life, I can forgive. I can forgive. And I'm staring him in the know that in the Bible. I know that. As a pastor, I know that. But I'm seeing this man who walked, was tortured, went to prison unjustly. He's there able to still love and share the good news. Strength, once again, not because he's some super Christian, is found and perfected even in his weakness because his focus, his eyes are upon I want to leave you with the verse that reminds us of this. Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3 says this. Looking to Jesus, right, once again, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For us, as we look at him, also think and consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary. See, what the author of Hebrews is telling you is when we focus our eyes upon Jesus and when we think about him, we're able to endure. He strengthens us. See, today, what we're talking about is one of the most difficult commands in all the Bible. When someone mistreats you or your loved one, the natural reaction is nothing that looks like what we were created to do. That's why we need Jesus in our lives to strengthen, establish in our heart, show patience and grace and love for the glory of God. It's not easy. Hope you understand what it's cost. Prayerfully ask God to give us that sort of reaction. Jesus, the words uh, that we looked at today in James. 
it's, it's so tough. 